and worship Him. And I look forward to it. And it's always it's always a pleasure. And I hope uh, I hope as you worship the Lord that you stand in Christ and you stand there in close fellowship with the Lord. That's our desire. Is that when we come together, that this this isn't the the full amount of your relationship with Christ, that this is just an opportunity for us to come together after a week of being with the Lord, after a week of of living close to Him and and knowing that God is in our life, that we come together here and we encourage one another. And we're encouraged by God's Word and we're encouraged through our worship. We're encouraged to to read and to sing words that, that I would never think to write. I would never comprise those words in that way, but I'm able to sing songs that, that reflect the, the call of my heart. I, I compare worship kind of like buying a Valentine's card for my wife. Now, I'm not much of a poet, okay? I'm really not. But man, I can pick out a good card. I really can. And I'll go into Walmart with all the other men on that, you know, Valentine's Day, and we're all waiting in line. That's a horrible place to be, you know, Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day, and the Valentine's section is on Valentine's Day, and, and find a card. And when I, when I choose one, and I give it to my wife, although I didn't write it, it really is a reflection of my heart. And that's how it should be when we sing songs of worship. That's what's going on in your heart, I trust, as we sing these songs. You're reflecting these words that are given to you. You're, they're coming from your heart. And you're saying, God, I maybe don't have the ability to write that, but I mean it. I mean it. Because God has made us as worshipers. God has made, that's, that's his design for us. And it's only possible for you and I to live out our design when we're in Christ. When we're in Christ. Hey, just two more things I want to throw at you for really just announcements. First of all, um, last Sunday afternoon, hey, there were a group of men and and sort of young men who played some football out here on the property. And um, we're now walking, okay? Some of us were kind of a little bit slow and and sort of, you know, so forth. It was what we recovered. And we're playing again next Sunday at 2 o'clock. Is that right? 2 o'clock next Sunday out on the property playing some flag football. If you want to come out, it's, it's a great time. You probably won't be the oldest because John are you coming oh maybe you might be John took the award as the oldest last week but we'd love to have you out and um, it's still not walking right but man you looked good on it Kim you should have seen him he was amazing we all just stood with our mouths wide open saying what is he doing you know so it's a good time Next Sunday, 2 o'clock, that we'll be out there. We'd love to have you come out. It is, it is a good time. The following Sunday, so this is on October 15th, I want to encourage all those who work with our children to plan on staying for a few minutes after the worship service. We'll do this in the library. Just want to have a meeting with all those that are working in our children's area. We do have some changes coming. I mean, nothing drastic, honestly, just sort of a realignment with what we're trying to do in our children's ministries. And so if you're involved in that ministry, plan on being after the service that day, just briefly, 10, 15 minutes, in the library just to go through some information about where we're headed. So what I told you we're made is made to be worshipers. I tell you, there's, there's, there's an opportunity for worship that, that very few people actually get to experience anymore. And I wanted to try to recreate it today. And the only way I could come up with was to make it really, really, really cold. Okay, so, so, that's, so that's what we're trying to do here. Okay, that's a little bit of a lie. But, but, I, but I want you to imagine that you're camping with me and we're up in the Dolly Sods wilderness. A couple years ago, my son and I went on a camping trip in the Dolly Sods. Backpacked in. He had to practically carry me out. But um, we made it. We made it. And the cool thing about that part of our state, it's a wilderness area. I don't know how many acres it is. A lot. Um, but the beautiful thing about it is there's not a stitch of electricity up there. And so in the middle of the night, I got out of the tent and walked out. And looked up at the sky. It's cold. It's quiet. And the sky was clear that night. And if you've never seen a sky on a clear night when there's no light pollution, when there's no, there's no traffic lights, there's no, there's no street lights, there's no house lights, and you're out there in the middle of nowhere, 
and you look up at the sky, it is amazing. There, there are more stars than what you ever imagined there could be. It's, it, just, it is honestly breathtaking. You look up at the sky. And, and the really cool thing is you, you regularly see, you see, I mean, I guess they're, you know, I don't know what they are, but, but streaks of lightning going across the sky. You know, you see, the, you see these events happening in the sky above you. And it all comes down to the simple fact that when you're in the midst of darkness, when you're in the midst of darkness, light shines so bright. Now, it's beautiful on a night camping in the Dali Sod's wilderness. But it's tough in your workplace. Because the principle applies to that spiritual world as well. In the darkness, light shines very, very bright. And I want to encourage you today. My desire is that you would be encouraged to understand that as you live as lights in a dark, dark world, I want to encourage you to keep going. I want to encourage you to not give up. And I want to encourage us as followers of Christ to understand what we need to do what we need to allow God to do in our own lives so that our light remains bright and we don't get pulled into the darkness. I want to start out with just reminding you of the amazing fact, if you're in Christ today, that God has saved you. It's it's an amazing truth. If you're in Jesus today, you need to know your salvation is a miracle because you were in a dark world And Jesus was very clear that when you were in that dark world, you loved darkness. Turn your Bible with me to John chapter 3. We're going to work our way to Ephesians, but I want to introduce really our topic for today by going to John chapter 3. There was a time when this is probably one of the most popular passages of Scripture in all the Bible. Less and less true, but contains great truth. John chapter 3, let's just, just, just so we can see verse 16, let's just read that, and then we're going to jump down to verse number 19. 3.16 says this, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now in reality, much of the book of John was written so we can understand what it means to believe in Jesus. When you read through the Gospel of John, and Jesus says he is the light of the world, he is the bread of heaven, he is the, tree, he is the one shepherd, he's the good shepherd. When, when you see what Jesus did and what Jesus said and who Jesus is, you come to understand what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus. See, I no longer believe on me. There was a time I believed on me. I thought maybe I could be good enough or I could be Christian enough or I could come from a strong enough family. I was believing on me. I was putting my trust on me. But now I've understood the truth. That this reality, that I had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes we wonder, sometimes we we wrestle through as believers, we wonder, why don't people, more people, come to Christ? Maybe you have somebody in your life and you're like, here it is. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and and you will have eternal life. And you might wrestle over why don't people believe. Maybe you have a family member or a friend or, or an acquaintance at work or just somebody that you know. And you're waiting to see them believe on Jesus like you have. And you wonder why. Why? Well, Jesus goes on to describe that. Look at verse number 19 and read with me. It says this. Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You wonder, why doesn't so-and-so 
come to Christ? Why don't they believe on Jesus, like John 3.16 says? Maybe you're faithfully proclaiming the gospel to somebody. You're living out Jesus through your life in front of them. And you are using your words to express who Jesus is and what he offers. And you wonder, why aren't they responding? Look what Jesus said. People love darkness. Do you remember when you loved darkness? Can you, can you go back there in your mind? Loving darkness, what it means, in case you miss it, what it who, who it's referring to are people who are outside of Christ. People who have not put their trust in Jesus. See, when you trust Christ, when you truly become a new creature, you love light. He is the true light. And you honestly desire for that light to expose the darkness in your life. But before you came to Christ, you loved darkness. You loved darkness. People don't come to Jesus. People don't come to the light, what Jesus is saying here is, because they love the darkness of evil. And they know that if they come to the light, it will be exposed. Now, before we get high and mighty, and before we start raining down judgment on people, remember, this was you. This was you. God did a miracle. You and I were in bondage to darkness. We were in bondage to this love for evil. And we knew We knew that if we came to the light of Jesus Christ, that the evil would be exposed in our lives. And what Jesus is saying here is the natural condition of people, the natural condition of all people is to stay away from that light. But God did a miracle in your life if you're in Christ. See, you weren't searching for God. You weren't out there seeking God. When man seeks God on his own, he only finds himself. That's all he finds. When you seek God on your own, you only find yourself. And a lot of good that does you. God did a miracle in your life. And he let your blind eyes see the light and move towards it. I encourage you to to wrestle through your condition before you were saved. The fact that you were in bondage to pride. I just made a list here. You were in bondage to pride. You were in bondage to the praise of men. John chapter 5 talks about that. You should look at it. You were bondage to blindness. You were bondage to deadness. You were bondage to the devil. And this passage says, you were in bondage to darkness. But praise God, not anymore. He's opened up your eyes to the light. Go with me now to Ephesians chapter 5. As we introduce this concept of darkness and light. Jesus used this expression over and over and over. He called us light. He referred to himself as lights of the world. Peter says that we are to be like lights. First John says we are called to walk in the light. And in Ephesians 5, this darkness and light concept comes up again. Let's jump in at verse number 6 and read through verse number 14. Here's what it says. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time, you were darkness. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part 
in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now what I want to deal with today as we, as we go into our next section here of Ephesians, if you're new with this, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians for some time, okay? And we, we're, we're going through this passage of scripture, studied in the way that God's spirit has laid it out. We spent a great deal of time on chapters 1, 2, and 3 that were all about our, our relationship with Christ and what God has done in us. And we saw that in the first three chapters, the only thing that you were ever told to do You can read three chapters of Ephesians, and the only thing, the only imperative, the only thing that you are ever told to do is remember who you were. That's it. That's it. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is all about who you are in Christ, who you were and who you are now, that you are a child of God, that you are his workmanship, that you are now to the praise of his glory, that you have received his love and his mercy, that you are his beloved, that you are part of his church. God has done a great deal of communication to us in understanding who we are in Christ. But then we turn the page to chapter 4, and chapter 5, and chapter 6. And now we have strong exhortations. These are now, because of who we are, let your life reflect it. Because you are God's workmanship, walk as Christ walked. Because of what God has done in your life, shine as light. We now have all these calls to to live out our relationship with Christ. And now we come to our next one. And as you saw, it has a lot to do with darkness and light. And what I want us to see today is that what God is calling us to is to think light. To think light. And to guard against the, the pool all around us to think dark. This passage is all about your thoughts. It's all about your mind. It's all about what's in your head. And if we are not careful, because we're like that dude there out on that field where he's the light surrounded by dark, we can be just overwhelmed with dark thinking. And so what are we called to to think light? First of all, it's this. Don't be duped. We have all kinds of do's and don'ts here. And the first one is, don't be duped. Look at verse 6. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Understand that we as human beings, as believers now, Paul is writing to believers. And he says, don't be deceived. We are so easily deceived. Even as believers, if we aren't careful, we can be fooled. Don't be duped, the Spirit of God is saying. Watch out. Be on guard. Because you're surrounded by a world of dark thinking. And it speaks to our flesh. You see, the dark thinking calls to that flesh that has a, is a very experienced dark part of you. And so that dark thinking calls to this part of me that is waiting to be redeemed. And we have to be careful that we aren't duped in how we think. It says here to watch out, verse number six, let no one deceive you with empty words. Now, question. What are these empty words? What are we to be on guard against that we are not deceived? There is is the the threat here of deception. And we are to be on guard against it. But what are the empty words that will deceive us? Listen, let me tell you how you understand the Bible. Just a little little side show here. The way that you read the Bible and understand it is by reading the verses all around it. You read the context. Paul, the Spirit of God, has already told us what he means by these line empty words. Look with me at verse number five. 
He says this, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or, is, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Do you see what Paul is calling us to? There is a lie out there. There is a lie that says it's your body. It's, it's your body. You do with it whatever you want to. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Just go ahead and do whatever you want to. You're forgiven. That's a lie is what we're being shown here. That's an empty word that we, are dece- that we as believers can be deceived towards. That God doesn't care. That God doesn't care what I do with my body. All that he cares is that I just simply believe that Jesus died on the cross. And then what well, doesn't really matter what happens from there. Folks, that's a lie. We need to understand what it means. But we need to recognize that it's a lie. Keep going, though. We'll see more of of what, what the truth is. Verse number six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things. Now, what are these things? What are these things? These things are the very things that Paul has been writing about. Sexual morality, impurity, covetousness. He says, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Folks, we, God calls you to himself. And it is by grace, through faith, that you are saved. But I think it's very important for us to understand a very important truth. And it's this. The grace that saves you from hell will save you from lust. A justifying faith, if you know what that word means, a faith that makes me righteous, will sanctify me. When I respond to God's grace by faith, the Spirit of God comes and indwells me and he changes me to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now I want to put on the screen because I wanted to be very clear about what I was saying. A faith that justifies also sanctifies. When you respond to Christ, his spirit comes and changes you. Faith that delivers from hell delivers from lust. The evidence of that justifying faith is that it fights lust. It fights against the power of this flesh. Now, I want to show you this just briefly in Scripture, okay? And you need to have your Bible. You need to be ready to find the references, you know, on your, on your mobile device or turn in your Bible, okay? Whatever it might be. But you need to follow along with me. Ready? Let me get my... I have a cheat sheet. But I knew they were coming. So, first of all, go with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Now, remember the context, what we're talking about here. We're talking about the lie of the darkness the lie of darkness that is, caught, that, is, that is working against the light of God in our lives. I want to show you some things that we see in Scripture, and I want us to understand what this means in our battle for righteousness of our mind. Okay? So follow along with me here quickly. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. See what Jesus says. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So what Jesus is saying here is. 
There is a broad road. There is an easy road that is filled with darkness. We need to recognize that. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5 now. Turn back a page to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse number 27 with me. He says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And certainly that is true. That's me adding that. Verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, now look at this. Tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now what is Jesus saying here? What is he saying? Is he saying that, that, that the church of Christ should be a bunch of people with one eye and one arm gone? Is that what this is? This is a call to some self-mutilation effort or something? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But here's what he's saying. He's saying that when we are in Christ, we will battle. We will battle against our sexual desire, our sinful intent. We will battle against this thing. There's more passages, and just for sake of time, I want to just go quickly through them. You can go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. There is a hollow philosophy. 2.8. Okay? There is a hollow, deceitful philosophy that we need to guard against here. 2.8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Turn over a page to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 5 with me. So therefore, understanding this, this empty, captive philosophy that's out there, what's the Spirit of God call you to do? Verse 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is an adultery, idolatry that is. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Okay, so let me just throw this out there. So you might say, Pastor Lowell, are you saying that if I have some of these desires in my life and I'm still responding to them, this desire for sin, are you saying I'm not a believer? Are you saying that I have lost my salvation? Are, are you saying that I am not in Christ? Now listen clearly and listen carefully. What I'm saying is this, that the true follower of Christ, the true redeemed man or woman, will battle for righteousness. They will battle for righteousness. They may not always win. They may not always win. I can assure you that you will lose some battles. It's going to happen in your life. But they will battle for righteousness. I've had people sit with me and pour out their heart to me in, this, in the arena that we're dealing with here, in the, in the sin area that we're talking about. And they poured out their heart to me and they said, Pesolo, I don't think I'm even a believer. I must not be a believer because I keep fighting against this and it still keeps coming after me. And I say, oh, it's the battle. It's the battle that indicates that you're in Christ. It's the battle. If you were not in Christ today, you would only see darkness. You would reject light. The fact that you're battling against it means that the light, you, the light is exposing this darkness in your life. Be encouraged to fight the battle. Don't give up. A justifying faith sanctifies. A faith that saves from hell will save from this sin in our lives. It will battle against it. Press on. 
Look at Galatians chapter 5. Go there with me. I told you you're going to move around a little bit. Galatians 5. Galatians 5 is a great passage about this very battle that I'm referring to. Look with me at verse number 16. Paul writes again as the Holy Spirit inspired him. Verse number 16 of Galatians 5. But I say, Paul writes, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the spirits are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They are battling. There is a war going on in the believer. In the believer, there's a war. There's a war going on. The, the, the flesh is battling against the spirit. There's a battle going on in the believer. If you, if you take a non-believer, there's no battle. There's no battle. He or she runs headfirst into it with, with the gusto. Do you remember that? Some of you were saved later along in life. You were maybe in your teens or 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s, and you remember the pursuit. You remember the run after darkness with reckless abandon. Let me have it. Let me have more. I can't get enough. I've got to have more. Remember that? Remember that? Some of you were saved so young. Some of you were saved so young that for you, you don't remember that pursuit. You don't remember that. So I'm going to speak to both of you just briefly. To those who saved later, you remember that dark run, okay? Like Paul, you need to remember that you were the worst of all sinners. But those of you, my heart really breaks for some of you who grew up around Christianity. I mean, you could be my child for that matter, okay? You know, you've been here all your life. You were born practically at church. And some of you got saved. I mean, I've seen I've seen four-year-olds respond to the gospel in brokenness. You say, was that possible? I'm not going to argue with a little person telling me that they're a sinner and they know it. So what about you? How are you going to understand this? I encourage you to go to God's word. I would push you to Romans 3. You should write that down. Go to Romans 3 and see who you are are without Christ, who the natural man is, who the natural person is, and know that was you. So naturally, it goes back to Ephesians chapter 5, because that's where we're headed now is your dark past. Look with me, would you? Ephesians 5, go take a minute and turn there. We'll go back to verse number 8. He says, therefore, Do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now this partners here is an interesting idea, okay? I want you to imagine a a three-legged race, okay? Because that's the whole idea. It's a synergistic relationship where two people are working together to try to move towards a common goal. So picture the three-legged race. Tied, okay, and the two of you are, are pressing on towards the finish line. What we're being told here is to be careful who we partner with. Be careful who you tie on with, okay? Remember who you were and remember what you were capable of. And remember how your dark past was there and be careful who you tie on with. That's what that word is really driving us to. Do not be partakers with them. Who's them? Them are those who are calling you to dark thinking. Okay? They're calling you to this darkness thinking. These empty words. Do not be partakers with them. Don't tie on with them and run life together. First Corinthians says that we are not to be unequally yoked. That's the same idea. And that doesn't mean you don't have any relationship with somebody that's outside of Christ. By all means, you and I have a relationship with people who need Jesus, and we need to be there in their life. But that's not partnering. That's not partnering. You working with an unbeliever, or going to school with an unbeliever, 
or having a friend, a neighbor who's an unbeliever, and influencing them to Christ is not this idea of partnering. You're not tying on with them and thinking like them and being like them and allowing their empty words to, to direct you. You're influencing them with, with the gospel. Paul says, yeah, we should be separate from people who think wrong and who act wrong. But he says in 1 Corinthians 5, not at all meaning those in the world. If you separate from those who are in the world, who are thinking dark, you should be just taken out of this world. We're to be in the world, not of it. But yet, we don't partake with them. So remember, here's why I'm connecting this to remembering your dark past. Remember, don't partake with them because you know who you were and what you were fully capable of. You were a slave to sin. And folks, that's exactly what that word means. You were a slave to sin. A slave has no will of his own. A slave is obligated through, through the threat of force that he or she will do what the master calls. And you and I, the Bible call, says that before Christ, we were slaves to sin. Not only that, before you came to Christ, you believed sin's lie. Remember who you were, okay? At one time, you were darkness. You believed the lie. And what was the lie? The lie was the dupe. It was the, it was the deception that darkness had something to offer you. Something that was pleasurable. Something that was lasting. Something that was rewarding. Do you remember that pursuit? Do you remember believing that this darkness thing had something to offer? If I move towards it, it'll reward me. If, if, I, if I go down this road, this broad road of destruction, Jesus said, it, it will give me something of lasting value. It will give me some pleasure that will mean something, some joy. It's a lie. It's a lie. All it offers is more slavery. It took your joy. It took your peace. It took your confidence it took your fellowship with the Lord. It took your fellowship with other believers. Don't forget who you were so that we don't partake with the dark world around us. See, instead, we have the mind of Christ. Now, I'm going I'm to divert off Ephesians 5 and go to 1 Corinthians 2. I've got it for the screen for you. We have the mind of Christ. Look at this passage. The natural person, or you could say the dark person today, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That means spiritually understood. They require the Spirit to allow us to understand them. The spiritual person judges all things but, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, when you came to Jesus, when you truly were redeemed, when you became a new creature, this says that we now have the mind of Christ. We aren't obligated to run back into the dark corner and be partakers with those who draw us away. You see, for the world outside of Christ, what we, what we offer today through Jesus is folly, is foolishness, is empty-headedness is what this is. The world around us, when we, when we say, when, let's just get real, real practical here. When we say that God calls Believers to live in fellowship with their husband and wife and live a sanctified life in their marriage relationship? The world calls that folly. It calls it foolishness. It, it calls it Puritan. It says it's old thinking. It's the old way. But they don't understand. 
They can't understand these things because they're spiritually understood. They're spiritually discerned. But you have the mind of Christ. Great passage. Now go back to Ephesians 5. And let's see what we are to do then. With this mind of Christ, what are we to do? What are we to do? Jump with me, verse number 11. First of all, it says, let's get 10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, how are things discerned? Spiritually. You see our connection here? Try to discern. We need to understand spiritually, not by our flesh, not by the world around us, not by what the television is telling you, not what the Washington Post is telling you, not what some study is telling you. We spiritually discern what is pleasing to the Lord. God's word is our, it is, it is our source of information. It, it, it is our funnel. It, it is our screen. It's how we discern what is pleasing to God. It goes on, it goes on. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to, even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So what I want us to remember here is to remember the battle that you're in. Remember the battle that you're in. You are in. You are light in a dark world. I am a, I'm an avid war history fan. I love to read about any conflict, okay? Right now, I'm on a little bit of a Korean War kick, okay? And so I'm reading all kinds of books about the Korean War. Barred a bunch from Pastor Brock. More history book. Yeah, right. Uh, so I enjoy reading about military history. And one of the things that, that just impresses me, and one of the things that impacts me, is when I read accounts about the everyday soldier in the foxhole or in the jungle, and every day they get up and they go into battle. And every day they wake up in the morning, if they got any sleep, they wake up in the morning and they're ready to do the battle of that day. I read about these, these soldiers in Korea. They're freezing. I mean, it's so cold. The ground is so cold, they can't even break it open to bury their dead. And so they're piled up like frozen logs. They're buddies who died the day before. And there they are, stacked, literally there. And these men get up and go to battle. You say, well, why do you read that? What is it about it? It's a reminder to me. The Spirit of God challenges me with it. That I will get up again and I will remember the battle. And I will battle again. I will, I will face the enemy again. And all around me may be people who have been taken out in the battle. But I don't care. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go into the battle again. So what's the battle look like? First of all, we need to recognize some things about it. We take no part and the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, we have no hint of sexual morality back up in the beginning of chapter 5. I, I take no part in this. Okay? I, I, am, I am a teetotaler when it comes to these things. Now, when I fall, because I'm going to, I need to know how to clean myself. I need to know how to, how to make my relationship right with Christ. That's what we talk about at Center Point 101. What do you do when you fall into sin? How do I restore my relationship with Christ? What do I do? Come to Center Point 101. Pastor Billy will talk through that. But I get up and go to the battle. I take no, no part in these unfruitful works. Instead, I expose them. I expose them. Now, what does that mean? It literally means to shine light upon. See this dark light? I shine light upon them. And I want to challenge you with the personal nature of this passage. I think the number one place for me to expose the unfruitful works of darkness in my life is in my own life. It's in my own life. I don't need to run around and expose the unfruitful works of darkness in your life. No, I will, Matthew 18, if I need to. But I'm starting with me first, see? I'm starting with me first. 
The, the log that's in my eye, I need to deal with that. So I shine a bright light in my eye and I remove it. I expose these things in my life. Continuing on, because it's so practical. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Be careful here. Be very careful here. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Because there's one person who hears every single thing you say. And I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about you. You hear everything you say. So when we talk of the shameful things, we talk about the shameful things that are happening, we hear us. And what this is indicating to me is that it's affecting us. Go with me up to verse number four and see the kind of things that are shameful. Verse number four. Let there be no filthiness. It's just a general word for uncleanliness, okay? Nor foolish talk. This is just, honestly, what foolish talk here would be just, it is just base humor is what it really amounts to. Trying to be careful here. It's the using of of base words for the sake of humor and wittiness. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Kids that are in the room, this is why you don't cuss. This is why. You know, you have your, your friends will tell you when you get older. They'll tell you, well, it's just a word. It's not just a word. It's not just a word. When we curse, and believe me, we all understand. And you smash your finger, it's easy to, ah, something come out of your mouth, right? But when we do that, we hear it. And it's base, see? It's foolish talk, nor crude joking. This is a word that, this, now we're into the sexual arena, the bathroom humor. Just, just base, witty jokes. Not to even mention these things, it says. Not to speak of them, verse number 12. Why? Why? Because we're, we're always hearing it. And it harms us in the battle that we're remembering. We need to remember the battle that we are in. When I was in the U.S. Army, I was in great shape. I could run two miles in like, you know, 13 minutes. I could knock out 60 push-ups right now. I could, I, I maxed the, hey, I maxed the sit-ups for my PT test. That's pretty impressive, right? That is. That's a big deal. I was in great physical condition. Why? Because people were preparing me for battle. Part of your preparation for battle is to understand how these things around us, the darkness that we are around, how they do affect us and bring about defeat. They bring about defeat. So careful, careful. I do want to say this. I kind of indicated this just a minute ago. We need to remember this too. We also battle for one another. Now I believe this passage is is, is specifically talking about your personal your personal pursuit of righteousness. But we need to know we're all in this battle together. We're in this battle together. And you and I as believers need to be committed to one another. And so when my brother or sister is falling on the battlefield, it is my responsibility now to run to their aid, to correct, to restore, to repair, I'm called to do that. We as a church have had to practice this on occasion. We call it church discipline. That's what we call it. You've been part of our church for for any amount of time. You know that we do actually live out what we're called to do in Matthew chapter 18. When a believer in our body who has said, yes, I'm a follower of Christ... Yes, I, I want to I win this battle with Jesus. I want him to, to deal this way in my life. I commit to you. I'm in this battle. Listen, that means we're committed to you. We've had people who have strayed from the Lord and had others go to him and say, listen, come back to Christ. Praise God, some do. But not all do. So what do we do then? 
we go with another or two others. And we go to them and say, listen, come back to Christ. Submit your life to Jesus. Win the battle. Let him win the battle in your life. And some of them do. Some don't. So then we come before the whole body of believers. And we say, pray for this person. Pray for them. They're believing the darkness around them. They're believing. And the only hope they have is that God would do a miracle and open up their eyes to lies that are being told to them. And then we pray. And we pray for repentance. See, we're committed to one another in this battle. Because God is that good. And our future is that bright. And that's where I want to end. Look at verse number 14. It says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, I love this, Awake! Wake up! See the lie around you! Wake up, O sleeper! Arise from the dead! Get up! Get in the battle! And Christ will shine on you. The light will shine and get rid of the darkness. And there is pleasure there, you guys. There is joy there. There is forgiveness and peace. There is a joy in walking in obedience with Christ. I want you to know that. I've been a believer walking in disobedience, and I've been a believer walking in obedience in my life. I've tasted both, and I'm calling you to obey Christ in your life. Let the Spirit of God sanctify you and produce this righteousness. Strive for holiness, Hebrews 12, 14 says. Strive for holiness, without which no man will see God. There is joy there. So wake up. I tell you, I feel for us. I feel for us. Because we have a powerful enemy that opposes. The Bible says that we are opposed by Satan himself, by the world around us, and by our flesh. That's a lot of enemies. That's a lot of enemies. And that's why it's such a great truth to remember when Jesus said, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's why it's so important for us to remember that Jesus said, in this world, you will experience tribulation, struggle. You will. But take heart. He has overcome. Look there to that light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the battle. We thank you for the battle, Lord. Because it means we're your child. It also means there's a great victory ahead. There's a great victory ahead, Lord. And we look forward to it. But Father, I pray that we would see your strong hand that is moving us to be conformed to you, Lord. The righteous expression that is found in the Lord Jesus as God, you, took on flesh. May we live in that obedience, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.